You are listening to Chaos Chronicles 809. I'm Leon Dolan here in Pasadena, California. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're new to the Chaos Chronicles, this is the show I do on modern motherhood. I say modern motherhood with a laugh. So hopefully you have some laughs. We'll do some talking, some thinking, uh, and then you can go on with your busy day. It's been a while since I've been behind the mic for the Chaos Chronicles. Um, I guess that's the nature of the show, really. Sometimes life gets in the way. No, I've been trying to balance my work podcasting with my work writing and with the two satellite sisters a week and the Downton Gabby specials and I've been busy so uh but I'm happy to be here today this Tuesday March 11th for the Chaos Chronicles 809 um here's what we're going to cover today just in case you're keeping track want to write down what's happening please feel free to um, I spoke at a great author event this weekend in Santa Barbara and, um, really one of my heroes showed up. So it was sort of a stunning and humbling and exciting event for me. So I'm going to tell you all about that. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk about, um, what social scientists call sleepy Monday. And if you had a teenager yesterday morning and you had to wake them up for school, the day after daylight savings kicked in. Uh, I think you know what I'm talking about. But I have some good facts on daylight savings, as in like, why are we doing this again? Um, also on the show today, we're going to talk about some young entrepreneurs. There was a, a really good piece in the New York Times business section this weekend um, about these, you know, tech kids that invent these apps at 16, 17, sort of what their life becomes and the choices they're trying to make now between going forward with their life as a tech entrepreneur or just going to college. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Also, an amazing excerpt in the New York Times Sunday Magazine by um, journalist Ron Suskind about um, the 20 years he spent educating his autistic son with the help of Disney animated movies. It's an amazing piece, and I think there are lessons for all parents in that. Uh, the book that he's written is called Life Animated, but the excerpt in the Times gives you a great idea of sort of what they've been doing for their son for 20 years. And then at the end, we're going to talk about books, a little bit more about books, 50th anniversary of one of my favorite books. And then um, I'm hitting the road this weekend and uh, I am going to listen to this audio book come heck or high water. So <laughs> heck, <laughs> you know, uh, I write too. I write books. If you don't know, in addition to doing this podcast, I also write women's fiction and I very rarely read the reviews of my books because it can just spiral you down. Like in general, they're very good, which is why it's stupid that I don't enjoy the excellent reviews that people take the time to post on Amazon or Goodreads. But every once in a while, you'll see one and it just brings you down. And uh, in the first book I wrote, Helen of Pasadena, I used one swear word, one, okay, one. <laughs> and um, so there was a woman that gave me one star because she said she saw the F word and she just like put the book down and erased it from her Kindle. And, and so that's why I said, come hacker high water. And, uh, I've just been stewing over that review for, I don't know, a while. And it's not the first such letter I've gotten. Um, you know, but my feeling was, is this a grown up book for grown up people? And occasionally grown ups use bad words. And in the case of Helen, it was a single word and it was chosen very carefully to show just how bad the situation was that Helen chose to use it. So I, 
I just had to laugh. Anyway, it made me think about that when I said to Hacker High Water. But not that I'm dwelling. See, not dwelling because I had a great weekend. Um, This weekend, I was invited to speak at an author event in Santa Barbara. And for those of you who don't know Santa Barbara, um, it is is like the soap opera. (laughs) It is. It's just an unbelievable slice of life here in California. Um, it's a relatively small town, but it's right on the water. Uh, they bill themselves as the American Riviera, although I know there are other places in America that also call themselves the American Riviera, but it is sort of a mix of high style and lots of money and old money and polo and private clubs. And you also get the best of like the beach. You're right there on the beach. The weather's gorgeous. It does feel like you're just isolated from the rest of the world in the best way, even though it's only 90 miles north of Los Angeles. So um, I love going to Santa Barbara. It's a treat. So when I was invited to speak at this luncheon, which was also a fundraiser for an organization that helps abuse kids in the area, I, I jumped at the chance. I was thrilled to be included. And it was a good list of authors. Um, and I got a hotel for two free nights. <laughs> so I was super psyched. Um, I was appearing on the, on the dais with Meg Gardner, who uh, is a Santa Barbara bred um, mystery writer who now lives in Texas. Uh, Margaret Mondavi was there, the widow of Robert Mondavi, of California Vintner fame. And she was there. She's in, I think, her early 80s. And she was there with a beautiful sort of cookbook, art book, memoir about wine. And then kind of the headliner of the event was Tim Conway, uh, the brilliant comedian from The Carol Burnett Show. So even before I knew all those people were coming, I heard Free Hotel Room Santa Barbara on the beach. And I said, yes, uh, as a charity, yes. So um, as life happens, my husband was supposed to come with me, but that didn't work out. (laughs) Just leave it at that. (laughs) You know, when you say yes to these events like nine months in advance, which is essentially what I did, it can be hard sometimes when the weekend actually comes, even though it's been on your calendar, like stuff comes up. So we had a lot happening here and it just, and my husband's been traveling a lot. So I ended up going alone and um, there were two events. I had a cocktail party Friday night that I was invited to attend and then the luncheon the next day. But the luncheon was a long day. It was a 10 to 12 signing. 12 to 2 luncheon and interview and then like 2 to 3 signing which is actually a pretty long day you have to be kind of on for that um so i had to get everything ready i had to i had to wear cocktail attire to the cocktail party no jeans it said on the invitation it was at the santa barbara club no jeans so you know what i pulled out people i pulled out those black sequin pants from chico's that i bought three years ago they are still working for me in the right circumstance (laughs) I got myself a new V-neck sweater to go with it. Uh, Eileen Fisher, thank you very much. Found it on the sale rack. Absolutely perfect. If you ever want a black V-neck sweater, go no further than Eileen Fisher. You don't need and look at the sale rack. Uh, That's what I would say. And then I had my sparkly necklace that always is a showstopper. So I had my outfit. I was ready to go. I had had my nails done here and my hair done because Santa Barbara is that kind of place. You know, I knew the ladies. At the luncheon, we're going to be dressed up. I I wanted to be at least as dressed up as they were. Although, you know, minus the Chanel handbags. And, um, but I had to pick up my son from school at two, two o'clock. So I couldn't leave before then. Supposed to be in Santa Barbara at the event by 5.30, which I thought, well, that's kind of early for a cocktail party. 5.30 to 8.30? But I was aiming for 5.30. 
Long story short, I left, and here's where you reminded, like, this is what real traffic is like in California, because in Los Angeles, I know other places have bad traffic, but I don't know if it's the type of traffic we have in LA. In LA, you can get in a traffic jam at any time of the day or night. It, Of course, rush hour is terrible, and rush hour <laughs> lasts from 6.30 in the morning till 10, and from like 3.30 in the afternoon till 7.30. So our rush hours are like eight hours of the day, and then at any of the other 16 hours of the day, if there is even a slight fender bender on a major freeway, everything gets backed up just because there's such a huge volume of traffic. You know, you have five lanes of traffic. So all of a sudden, if five lanes are going down to two lanes because of a fender bender, you're in trouble. So that is exactly what happened to me. I left before rush hour. I was estimated to be in Santa Barbara by my count at five, change into my outfit, be there at like 5.45 at the latest at the at the cocktail party. But I got jammed up right like 10 minutes into my drive. And so I was late. And you know how freaked out I get when I'm late. <laughs> you know, the Dolan trait, like five minutes early, I might as well be late. So when I didn't actually even arrive to the hotel till six o'clock, and there was a message from the woman who had invited me to speak, like, I was waiting for you, but I had to leave. Uh, you know, where are you? I was like, oh, no. So uh, here's where it's helpful to have a valet in the family. My son is a valet at a high-end hotel. And there was a similar looking young man there. So I ran in, I checked in, I had to get changed and throw some makeup on. Fortunately, my hair was done. And I looked at this kid and I said, you get me a cab. I need to get to my room, get me a cab. The cab needs to be outside my door in 10 minutes. I'm late for an event. And I knew I should just take a cab. I knew it wasn't far, but I don't know Santa Barbara super well. And there are a lot of one-way streets and stuff. And I thought if I'm driving myself, I'll get lost and I won't be able to get in the parking lot and I'll go the wrong way on a one-way street. I said, rather pay 10 bucks for a short cab ride. So <laughs> this poor kid, he like did not know what hit him. I'm, he's trying to like show me how the lights work in the room and ask me if I need ice. I'm like, I don't need ice. I need a cab. I need a cab outside my front door in 10 minutes. Got it? And of course, in 10 minutes, I walk outside and there's no cab. So I have to charge over to the valet area, the front desk and uh, the valet circle, as I know they call it in the valet biz. I have to go to the circle and there's like an innocent cab driver standing there. I don't think it's my cab, but I looked at the valet and I'm like charging. I've got the high heels on. I've got the secret pants. I'm like, I am getting in this cab. I need this cab now. So uh, everything was cool. I got in the cab. Eddie got me there on time and well not on time I was uh I was for an hour late but uh they were very gracious I didn't realize there was a whole program and introduction protocol that night I didn't know that I thought it was just a cocktail party so I got there Whew. Liz and Leanne here and we are so grateful to have Osea support satellite sisters why because it's just a great product holy cow do we we love Osea's skin and body care and you know what this Mother's Day just look no further than Osea. Spoil the moms in your life with the little luxuries from Osea. The moms, the stepmoms, the bonus moms, the people who bring a touch of something special to your life, aunts, grandmothers, they would love a little Osea this Mother's Day. And you can get 10% off your first order by using our code SATSISTERS at oseamalibu.com. And Liz, you know what every mother 
and mother figure needs? What? More moisture, Liz. They need more moisture in their skin. <laughs> in no their kidding. skin. I mean, really, the creams, the lotions, the oils. I love it all. That duo they have going. Oh. Like, you can't miss with the duo of Osea. Liz, the mega moisture duo. Yes. You can you can literally see your skin get firmer. And it just delivers this full body glow. Okay, you know we have raved about the Andaria Algae Body Oil. Mm-hmm. Well, pair that with the Andaria Collagen Body Oil. Youthful, yeah. Liz. A youthful yeah. glow is going to happen. <laughs> and it's a, infused with Osea's signature Andaria seaweed. So it just smells so delicious, doesn't it? I know you're talking about giving it as a gift. I also suggest just giving it to yourself (laughs) because you're worth it. (laughs) That's that's true. That is absolutely true. Okay, that moisture duo I mentioned too is a great value because you can save 16% plus the extra 10% with our code Sad Sisters. So this is it. This is a win-win-win Mother's Day gift. Spoil the moms in your life with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSISTERS at oseamalibu.com. And you get free samples in every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. So head on over to oseamalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. Thanks, Osea. Liz, summer is coming up, and you know what that means? It means you're grilling. You're grilling and chilling sure. there yes. with, your, with your butcher box. What, what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the thing. Because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for a part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box is what, uh, what, what I'm recommending. Yeah, either way, you're just going to buy meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that? Anyway, you know, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good. And the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. ButcherBox gives you peace of mind and easy-to-find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork that's raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, no antibiotics or added hormones. And as Liz said, delivered right to your doorstep. And you can customize that delivery plan, Liz. Right. Because it can go wherever you want it to go, whenever you want it to go. If you want to delay it a week, you know, speed it up a week, you just go to your Butcher Box account and you can make that all happen. It's so easy to manage online. Yeah. And if you're like Liz, you can take your Butcher Box on vacation, which is. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Nice to have something familiar there. (laughs) Yes. So if you want to take your meat on vacation, sign up at butcherbox.com slash sisters and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional 20% off. So you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash sisters and use code sisters to choose your free for year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. Right on time. And uh, guess who our MC was? Uh, do you remember Andrew Firestone from The Bachelor? Well, I guess he's a resident of Santa Barbara now, married, apparently has three kids, and he was the MC introducing the authors, and there were many authors there, and so he did a great job in the introductions, and I'm always partial to anyone who can pronounce my name right. So uh, I, I love I love you, Andrew Firestone, and um, he was very nice and very 
very handsome. So I managed to pull off the cocktail party. That went well. And then the next day was the big event. So I was, you know, I was there early that day. I didn't want the organizers to think I was a flake. Uh, so I got there at quarter of 10. I was all ready to go. I had my dress picked out. I looked good. I had, you know, dry shampooed my hair and fluffed it up a bit. It was still working for me. And then, um, uh, so I took my signing spot at 10 o'clock and I'm right across from Tim Conway. And, you know, I was a very big Carol Burnett show fan. Who wasn't, you know, when you think back on that time in television, first of all, there were only like 13 channels and you only had the one channel in the house. It's one TV in the house, right? So <laughs> you didn't have a choice. In our house, it was either the Yankees game or the Carol Burnett show that was on that one TV. Uh, but it was just such an unbelievably funny show with just indelible sketches and characters. And um, so it was really, I, I was really honored to be there with Tim Conway and he is 80 now and he has a new book out, which of course is on the New York times bestseller list called what's so funny. And he looked great. Uh, he looked dapper. He looked fantastic. It was going to be a long day. I mean, 80 is 80. He had a team with him. He had, I met his manager. He, he had two other people with him. So he had managers and agents and assistants. He had a team of people with him. I, um, you know, I, I had, uh, my black boots on and basically, and so I was sitting across from Tim Conway and he had a big line. People wanted to get there early and get him to sign their books. And I had, I would say, a steady flow, but not the line that Tim Conway had, which was fine. Totally fine. And at one point I'm signing for somebody and my table now it's getting crowded and the luncheon doors haven't opened yet. And I'm, you know, I notice I'm sort of boxed in on either side at my table by, you know, two older women were chatting, one on a walker and like another group was, you know, chatting, ladies chatting. So I look up and I'm signing and I see Tim Conway. I see him stand up and hug somebody and I realize that's Carol Burnett. Oh my gosh, it's Carol Burnett. They're 15 feet from me. And it was like, I, it was like a magic moment to see Tim Conway and Carol Burnett together. Like old friends, just like lovingly embracing like, Hey, how are you? You know, I don't, no one knew she was coming. The organizers told me later they did know she lives nearby in Montecito, you know, where Oprah lives. Uh, and, um, but it was, I looked up and I turned to the woman next to me who was my helper. And I said, that's Carol Burnett. And she's like, Oh, I don't know about that. I go, no, that's Carol Burnett. So I'm trying to get a photo of the two of them together, but I'm boxed in by these old ladies and their walkers. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't get over there. And I thought, you know, what would Carol Lawrence do? She'd like beat them over the head with her pocketbook. But I decided not to do that. I just decided to like hang back. But it was really something to see them. And then I remembered we spoke to Carol Burnett on Satellite Sisters and uh, it was without a doubt, the most nervous I was of any interview we ever did. I, and we was just on the phone and we were talking to her about, um, the theater that they were dedicating to her daughter, Carrie, her late daughter, Carrie here in Pasadena, the Pasadena Playhouse has a black box theater named after her daughter, Carrie. And, um, so we had the playhouse director on and Carol Burnett and I was so nervous talking to her. So all of a sudden I realized Carol Burnett's here. Like I have to do a 15 minute interview. <laughs> in front of Carol Burnett. It was like the ghost of interviews past. I kind of started to sweat. I got nervous. I finally, like I spilled to one of the other writers. Did you see that Carol Burnett's here? Meg Gardner, the mystery writer. She's like, why did you tell me that? 
now I'm terrified. <laughs> and I just kept thinking, it was great to see her, but maybe she'll leave before lunch. But no, obviously... She was going to stay to support Tim Conway. That's why she was there. So when we sat down, we had lunch first. She is literally sitting in the number one spot, the table right in front of the stage. And the, the format they did, instead of trying to do a panel discussion of all of us together, with very different writers, we did 15-minute interviews. And uh, I was happy to be interviewed by a local writer, Starshine Rochelle. Yes, that is her name, Starshine Rochelle. Starshine is delightful and you know it. Her father was in um, the original road production of Jesus Christ Superstar. So uh, he named her after the song Good Morning Starshine. <laughs> that is that is her given name, Starshine Rochelle. Uh, so Starshine is interviewing me and I'm like, I can't believe Carol Burnett is 10 feet from me. And the good news is that because we were on stage, there were 500 people in the audience, but really only one mattered to me. And uh, there were there were cameras um, that were projecting us. There was a lot of lighting. So the only good news is that because the light was right in my eye, I could not actually see Ms. Burnett even though she was 10 feet in front of me. And um, I think I did okay. Uh, Starshine assured me she had a better angle. She said she was laughing, which may be the highest compliment of my career. <laughs> so, it was just an amazing day, and I was happy to be a part of it. Uh, thanks to the organizers who invited me. Uh, great organization. They raise a lot of money for a very important um, service organization there in Santa Barbara. And then in true Santa Barbara fashion, this is what I love. Okay, this is, you know... Because there was some good fashion there. People were dressed up. People looked good. The ladies were wearing their pastel dresses, as we discussed. There was dusty pink. There were florals. Okay, they were into that. Santa Barbara. So there was some, you know, modern hippies, 70s style happening. Uh, a lot of women had already transitioned into their spring footwear and bare legs. I did not, but a lot of other women were. So afterwards, I signed a lot more books afterwards. Once people had heard me speak, it was fun. Uh, they they came up. They're like, oh, now I want to read your books, even though there's that one bad word in Helen. Um, and uh, so um, one, woman one woman said, do you mind me asking how old you are? And I said, well, I'm 49. <gasps> She's like, oh. She goes, you, I would have thought 35. Whatever you're doing keep doing it. So that was really funny. And then, um, another woman came up and honestly got out her cell phone and she said, who does your highlights? Not as in a like, Oh gosh, whoever does your highlights is good. It's like, who does your highlights? And I had to take out my cell phone and give her Trina's name and, Oh, she's at a new salon and here's her number. <laughs> Cause it, she didn't care about LA traffic. She was going to drive 90 miles to get those highlights. That's so that was really, I feel like I, I made it. I made Carol Burnett, Burnett laugh and someone loved my highlights. So that's a good weekend. Oh, you know, one of the other nice things I did this weekend was um, see a friend of mine from high school in Connecticut who had relocated to Santa Barbara, and we just had never kind of caught up, but we had reconnected on Facebook. So, you know, that is what Facebook's good for. Mock, if you will. Mock, if you will. But, um, you know, it was really fun to see Diana. And I said, when was the last time we saw each other? And she's like, do you remember 
we ran into each other at LaGuardia, like after our freshman year in college. I was like, I had no memory of that. I cannot believe she remem- remembered that. But apparently we were both flying home and uh, we saw each other at LaGuardia. And that was it. That was the last time, 25 years ago. So it was fun to see her. She lives there and is an architect. And um, and then one other, <laughs> one other thing. I had very odd... Uh, sleeping situation. I'm in a nice room in a nice hotel, but the people next to me, uh, decided to be up all night and I, it it wasn't, they weren't partying. They weren't arguing. Uh, they weren't doing anything salacious. They just appeared to be having a conversation all night long. Uh, they woke me up at two o'clock with their voices and then again at four and by four forty-five, I just got up because not only were they talking, they were also smoking their full heads off. So I couldn't tell if they were smoking outside the room and it was just blowing back under my doors. But here's what they were talking about. At one point I heard them say, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go to the Muppet movie. I don't really like the Muppets. And that was like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so <laughs> what? I was trying, what is their deal? I was trying to be, are they making meth? Are they taking meth? What is happening in that room next door? Again, it wasn't fighting. It wasn't partying. It was just talking and smoking. And then, um, and then in the afternoon, then about, so I got up and I took a huge walk and then about eight in the morning, that's when I heard them like, then they started like yelling into their cell phones at other people in other places. And I thought, okay, it's going to be a bad night tonight. So, uh, I ended up just driving home after, after the event. I did not stay the second night because I thought I'm not going to get any sleep <laughs> and there's a time change. So I'm really not going to get any sleep. I better get home to my own bed. And speaking of time change. Okay. Daylight savings, you know, it has freaked me out since I was a small child. I don't adjust well to the daylight savings. In the fall, I think about like what real, what time it really is. Why did we get this extra hour? I don't understand it. It takes me forever to transition. And then in the spring, I have another freak out about where did the hour go? (laughs) I just, I have never adapted to daylight savings. And apparently I am not alone. There was an article in USA Today by Karen Weintraub um, that daylight savings is kind of uh, a waste of time, money, and productivity. And I-, I can see that because yesterday morning when I had to wake that teenager up at seven, which was really six, that was bad. But you know when it was worse? This morning. Like it's not getting any better. But um, social scientists and economists actually have a term for the Monday after daylight savings. They call it Sleepy Monday. And you know why they call it Sleepy Monday? Because on Monday or Tuesday, that's today, our risk of having a car accident will rise about 6%, research shows. Also, according to economists, productivity traditionally plummets in the days after a shift to daylight savings time. And contrary to popular belief, switching our clocks doesn't actually save energy. It adds to our energy use tab. You know why? Because we're like, oh, it's still light out at seven o'clock in the evening. I guess I'll drive to the mall and go shopping. We stay up much later than we normally do. And we take advantage by like driving, shopping, and turning on electrical items. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, here, uh, crit- but management professor Christopher Barnes of the University of Washington said he sees only a downside to the time shift, which robs, up of it, robs us of at least 40 minutes of sleep by Monday morning. 
I've only seen a downside in my data and other studies. So, uh, so don't be fooled. Sleepy Monday could also be called Risky Monday, and Tuesday and Wednesday are more dangerous than usual. But here's a term I like. Barnes, uh, the professor who's done all this data on this, has documented an increase in workplace injuries and the severity of those injuries. Okay, so that's that's good. So not only are we getting injured, we're getting injured severely. Thank you, Daylight Savings. And then he says he sees a lot more cyber loafing. I love that term. I had never heard that before. Cyber loafing. And you know what that is. We all do it. I I do it at night. I do it in the afternoon when I'm cyber procrastinating, looking at online entertainment websites of cute kittens instead of working. Other research shows, and this is more serious, that heart attack rates and car accidents are significantly higher on Sleepy Monday. So, um, but there is a bright side. And, uh, that, um, they do see in the days following these first couple of days, car accidents do reduce in the evening because it is lighter out. So that's good, but we lose a little the first couple of days. So drive carefully. And then, um, one doctor said, how do you make, uh, reverse the damages of sleepy Monday? You go to bed an hour earlier. So it's not rocket science, <laughs> but, but I had to laugh. So I, I can barely get my teenager out of bed yesterday morning. I knew it was going to be bad. I tried to prepare him just like when they were little, go to bed an hour earlier. Remember when they told you that? Like, oh yeah, uh-huh. For 15 minutes every day. Okay. Right. Sure. Going to get on that. So I can barely drag my teenager out of bed yesterday. And then last night at 10 o'clock, I was going to bed and I was turning out the front lights and I heard this distinctive sound of like a child running and skipping down the street, which is, you know, singing at the top of their lungs, which is unusual at 10 o'clock at night. And I look out and there's a dad walking a dog and he has like a a four-year-old with him. And I thought, oh, that's the opposite end of that spectrum. I can't get the teenager up, but that poor guy can't get that toddler to bed. So I don't know which is worse, having the grumpy teenager or the toddler like, wide awake at 10 o'clock at night. You should have seen seen this kid singing and skipping down the street, 10 o'clock in the morning. (sighs) All right. Sleepy Monday. Definitely felt it. Watch out. Drive carefully today. Um, All right. Speaking of teenagers, there was a a fun piece in the New York Times business section yesterday, and um, it was about young entrepreneurs. It was about these 15, 16, 17-year-old wonder kids who are designing apps and, uh, and actually making, you know, enough money for them to question, okay, why, why am I applying to college again? What's the point of me going to college when I just designed this app and, you know, made twenty five, thirty thousand dollars some making significantly more. Um, but it profiled two or three of these young app designers. Year when I did the alumni admissions interviews at my alma mater, I talked to six kids, right? I interviewed six kids who were applying to Pomona and, uh, four out of the six kids had designed apps. So this is not that unusual. This idea, <laughs> like, you know, that they had already like worked and designed apps that were available at the iTunes store. I, I'm not kidding you. So this is not such an unusual situation. Um, but uh, the, the bent of this article was like, should they go to college or not? But what made me laugh the most, like in the beginning and reading the first couple of chapter paragraphs and, you know, I was like, oh, why can't my kid design an app? <laughs> you know, when we were younger, our parents used to say, you know, in the era of the Osmond family and the Partridge family, they 
look at us and go, why can't you kids write one hit song? And now it's, why can't you kids design one hit app? And, um, what they, so what happens is these, these tech kids are sort of plunged into this grown up world of business. And when you're reading the first couple paragraphs, I was like, wow, these kids, this is something else. How can our kids compete if they're not designing apps and, you know, they're taking their spring breaks or an extra couple of days and going to South by Southwest and having business meetings instead of, you know, staying home and doing their book reports. Good for them. But then the truth comes out that most of these kids were in fact straight A students, but guess what happens when you have to like market your app or design it or spend hours designing, uh, writing code. Oh, your grades, your grades plummet. So I had to laugh that even though these kids have like, you know, apps that have made them twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, they were all getting like D's and F's in high school. <laughs> so I, I was just secretly pleased that you can't do it all, that that proves it. Like you can either get an A in calculus or you can design an app, but it is hard to do both things. And I thought, you know, I'm glad on the one hand, I, I wish my kids had an interest in apps, but I don't care what they have an interest in. That's, they're not going to write code. I don't think that's in their future, but I'm actually glad to see there are some consequences to having, uh, these like preterm naturally, you know, uh, technically advanced kids like, right. They still get D's in calculus. I don't know. Made me feel good. <laughs> so. So even though they were applying to Stanford, I don't know. Do you get into Stanford? That's a good admissions question. They were, you know, applying to Stanford, but some of them had D's and F's on their transcripts. So what do you do if you're Stanford? I'm sure they'll get in. That's what I think. I'm sure they will get in. They all just wanted to go to Stanford. If they went to college, they decided Stanford would be the place to go. So good luck with that Stanford admissions. Liz, you know we love talking about Framebridge, don't we? We do. <laughs> because, because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. But Liz, you recently had quite an exciting Framebridge experience. Would I, I you did. like to share? Would you like I to? Know, I talked about how when we were at the Bruce Springsteen concert, I was with our brother Dick, his wife Susan, his two kids, and one of the roadies threw us the set list at the end of the show, which was amazing to get the actual set list for the actual concert in Los Angeles. And we're like, oh, yeah, any day now, that's going to be in a place of honor in their home. Sure enough, Leon, they have already frame-bridged it and sent it to us with a picture. So I'll be in Bend next week, so I'll get to see it. But it's just excellent use of the frame-bridge resources, the Bruce Springsteen set list. Fantastic. And this is gift giving season. So if you have a graduation coming up, a wedding, a shower, Mother's Day, Father's Day, look around. I'm sure you have something fun you can frame and Framebridge can do it for you. It's easy and it's affordable to frame just about anything. You get fair and transparent upfront pricing based on the size of your item. There's a great selection of frames. And as we've said in the past, fast service, free shipping, great for gifts. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Liz, not many things in life give you a happiness guarantee, but Framebridge does. If you're not 100% happy with your piece, they will make it right. So if this but sounds like- you're going to be happy, okay? Yeah. And that's just the Satellite Sisters promise. You're going to be out. You're going to be happy you did it. See why Framebridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit framebridge.com or see a local Framebridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's framebridge.com. 
Um, thanks, Framebridge. Hey, it's Liz and Leanne here, and we want to thank Pros for supporting this episode of Satellite Sisters. Now, you know, Liz, I've been out and about with my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical. Mm -hmm. The book is getting rave reviews. I'm very happy. But you know what else is getting rave reviews? My hair, Liz. My hair from Pros is getting reviews. Leanne, I am not surprised. You have been on that pros hair regimen for quite a while. I mean, you have good hair anyway, but now you have great hair because you've really paid attention to it. Well, Liz, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And you know what? I love the regimen they have me on. I, do I take the hair vitamins every day? Yes, I do. Do I use my shampoo and conditioner made especially for Leon Dolan? Yes, I do. Do I sometimes use the leave-in conditioner when it's, my hair's really dry? I do. And I even have a pre-scalp thing that they give me. Okay, pros, you, you're the boss. I'll take it. <laughs> you tell me what my hair needs. That sounds good. And here's the thing. It's personalization, Liz. For yeah. millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely Leon's. Okay? And I'm I'm using it. Pros isn't just better for you. It's also better for the planet, Liz. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So, Pros, we love you. I love the photos of my hair. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> photos of your hair. There are people in the photos, too. That's the thing about a book tour. Everybody yeah. has their picture taken with Leon and then post it. So yeah. the hair is important. <laughs> Couldn't be happier, Pros. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin. They're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash sisters. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash sisters. And pros is spelled P-R-O-S-E, pros.com slash sisters. Thanks, pros. All right. And then another article I read this weekend that literally moved me to tears. So I wanted to share it and I will share a link for all these articles I just mentioned at chaoschronicles.com. Um, but this one was in the Sunday Times Magazine section, the New York Times Sunday Magazine. Uh, it was called Animating Owen and it's by Ron Suskind. He's a longtime journalist for the Wall Street Journal and Esquire. He's written uh, several best-selling books. And, um, but this one uh, life animated is, uh, the story of raising his own autistic son for the last 20 years, his son, Owen. And, um, you know, I'm always moved and amazed when I hear sort of the day-to-day -day lives of people, parents dealing with special needs kids, like how that is such a 24 seven, all hands on deck, completely consuming life experience. It is humbling if you don't have a child with special needs, you know, to realize like we whine and complain about stuff and we should just shut up because <laughs> if you have a special needs child, like your parenting reality is so vastly more consuming than my parenting reality. And this article made me think about a lot of things. I think it's a great read for any parent, but particularly if you have a special needs child, autistic or not, I think you can relate and appreciate what these parents went through for 20 years. And um, he's out on his media tour now. So I know uh, Ron Suskind was on Good Morning America today, but I encourage you to read the excerpt from the New York Times because you'll get a real feel for it. It's 
a good lengthy excerpt. But the crux of their story is that 20 years ago when their son was diagnosed with autism, there really weren't a lot of options and therapy options. They didn't really know a lot 20 years ago. So really through their own kind of trial and error and observation, he and his wife, a former journalist, um, discovered that their son, the one thing he seemed to relate to, the one way that he was able to communicate and share any kind of emotion or feeling at all was through Disney animated films. And it was just the Disney films. So for 20 years, they have spent their lives communicating with their son many times in the voices of Disney animated characters. This is, they came to refer to it as Disney therapy, but they watched their son. He had the type of autism where he like completely reversed at age three. Uh, so, um, you know, at two o'clock, he, at, at two years old, he was laughing and waving and talking. And by age three, he had lost all his, his, um, his verbal skills. He was no longer making eye contact, was doing that sort of flapping, arm flapping that autistic kids do. And, um, and they, you know, he describes how painful it was to watch that reversal and try to understand what was happening. And it was only a couple of years after that, that they had a breakthrough with these Disney animated films that, uh, for some reason, what the characters said and what the characters were going through and the lessons learned in those films, like got through to him in a way no other therapy did. And you can read all about the therapy. It's not so much about that. Uh, that's relatable, although that is fascinating. It does tell you a lot about sort of storytelling and characters and archetype and human experience and, you know, transferring sort of things into whatever character you read. You know, kids do that all the time. But with this child, it was a very special relationship with these Disney films. That's sort of how he lived his life. Um, but it, to me, it says a lot about parents figuring out, like, what language is my child speaking I need to talk to them in that language. Like for them, it was extreme. They had an autistic child and this is the only way they could communicate. But almost with any child, like they don't all speak the same language, you know? They don't all have the same needs. They can't all march off and lockstep and do the same activities and get the same grades and take the six AP classes or, you know, they can't all be the stars of the basketball team or head of the student council. Almost every child has their own kind of secret language. And as parents, you're always sort of searching for a way in, you know, what is it that they relate to? Is it dance? Is it music? Is it books? Is that how you relate to them? You know, are they physical kids? Is it sports? I mean, for some kids, that's their language. Uh, you know, is it make-believe? Do they, do they, you know, for some of them, it's gaming, even though like that's a language I don't particularly understand. I see that with my younger son, like, that's a place where he actually engages actively in storytelling. He likes the games that puts him in different civilizations and, you know, makes him go through history and create worlds. I, that is something that he relates to. So for a long time, it was easy to be dismissive about that because I, I don't relate to video games at all. But I was like, well, that's how he communicates with his friends <laughs> online, like, that's what he does with his buddies on a Friday night. They all get together and they game. So I guess I have to sort of figure out what that means and how that's applying to him. 
And that's what I was struck by when I read um, this article animating Owen, that this is such a literal translation of that idea that, you know, every parent has to find a way into their own child's communication patterns. But this is so specific. So I won't give it away. I won't give it all away. Um, but I encourage you to look it up online. Again, the link will be at chaoschronicles.com just because it does, it literally moved me to tears. It's, it's an amazing story and, um, it's just, it's just an amazing story. And it's an amazing story of the young man and the family that has spent 20 years looking for a way in to communicate to their son. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we get back, a few more things about books, very, very literary, very literary show. Stay with me. All right, later on today, um, actually, so look for it today or tomorrow to be posted, um, my friend Dr. Nancy Burke and I are going to do a new College Bound Chronicles. It's been a while since we've um, sort of uh, hooked up the microphones and, and talked a little bit about our College Bound journey. That's the series I did um, last year while my son Brooks was applying to college with Dr. Nancy Burke's help. She's a therapist, but she's also uh, written a book called uh, The College, ba- college Bound and gagged about parents applying their kids to college. And so Nancy and I are going to hook up about the new SATs. Um, Again, I I hate to keep quoting the New York Times, but a good piece on um, the new SATs that will debut in 2016 in the magazine and the kind of changes that will be in store for those of you who have um, people... um, Kids taking the SATs soon. My son Colin will be taking the SATs in 2015, so he will not be subject to the new SATs. But, um, I, you know, I've just decided not to worry. <laughs> is what I, just, I decided to do that. I don't know. I, one thing about being like now a seasoned uh, parent going through the college application process is that I really do believe that they're a whole package. So there's schools they are going to get aced out of because they don't have certain SATs, but it's probably a sign it's not the right school for them. I don't know. I just can't. I, I just think as parents, especially after reading that article animating Owen, like we spend a lot of time worrying about stuff that we just really shouldn't spend time worrying about. It's just one test in their lifetime. So, and uh, I, you just can't get worked up about it. But Parents do, and I understand. So Nancy and I are going to cover that on the College Bound Chronicles today. Um, All right, a couple things coming up. First of all, I wanted to mention um, some more links I'll be posting. Um, It's been a while since I've done the show, so I missed the actual date of the 50th anniversary of the publication of my favorite book of all time, certainly the most influential book of my childhood, Harriet the Spy. Uh, Louis Fitzhugh's masterpiece about... um, a young journal writing, snarky, uh, peeping Tom, 11 year old on the Upper East Side in New York, <laughs> which was my favorite book then and maybe now. I would think now it would definitely rank in my top three most influential books. I took my senior quote in high school from Harriet the Spy, and the 50th anniversary was a couple weeks ago and inspired a lot of good writing out there about the influence of Harriet the Spy, particularly on a generation of writers like myself, um, you know, people my, about my age. And uh, because Harriet kept these notebooks, kept these diaries, was brutally honest. And what I loved about Harriet as a character where she was very, very funny. Um, in a day before, you know, 
Perez Hilton and everyone was snarky. Harriet was the original sort of snarky tweeter. But that was so far in the future that it was unbelievable to read. So, um, and there was a great piece in the New Yorker blog uh, comparing um, Harriet the Spy to Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird. I thought that was excellent. So I'm just going to put that up on uh, the Chaos Chronicles page. If you have thoughts on Harriet the Spy, I would love to hear them. Uh, I just, you know, adored the book and I'm happy that it's still really popular. And uh, I'm not surprised that I'm alone. And today I was reminded of it today. I had sort of read all the articles and meant to do something and didn't get around to it. But I saw a tweet today from a book reviewer in... uh, uh, London, and he claims that he thinks the best book about teenage, about you alienation, teen alienation is Harriet the Spy and not Catcher in the Rye. He was going <laughs> to, he was, he was ready to take up that gauntlet. And I would kind of agree. I think Harriet the Spy is really a fantastic novel. So, uh, celebrate with me 50th anniversary here at the spy. I actually thought about like seeing if that was available on audio because this week Colin and I heading off to Northern California. It is the robotics state championships. Um, I'm ready. You know, I got my, um, I got my special t-shirt, uh, <laughs> school t-shirt. I have, uh, I'm going to bring snacks. I have comfortable shoes. Uh, I'm ready to go. It's a, it's a three day event. We leave Friday morning. We drive five hours. Uh, the kids on the robotics team have five hours of practice and setup and registration. Then we have a team dinner that night at a Mexican restaurant and then competition all day Saturday. It's at a great America amusement park. So then at night they open the amusement park. <laughs> As it says, for everybody. I was like, well, not for me, but I'm sure other, the kids will really enjoy that. And then if they make it to the semifinals, that will be Sunday and then we'll be home. So it's a full weekend of robotics. But it also means that we have five hours in the car. And I have had 9 million people say to me, have you read The Fault in Our Stars? Has Colin read The Fault in Our Stars? All of Colin's friends who are girls say, you haven't read The Fault in Our Stars. So I am going to force him to listen to The Fault in Our Stars on an audiobook. Okay. That's my plan. He doesn't know it yet. I'm just going to spring it on him. I'm going to say the night before, please download it, you know, download the audible and we are going to listen in the car. I already checked it out. It's about seven hours. That means we can get most of the way through on the way up there and finish it on the way back. I, I know it is like the seminal book for his generation and there will be sort of a deficit in his reading. It could be his Harriet the Spy. You know what I mean? It could be. So uh, I, don't, I don't want there to be, or at least go ask Alice. <laughs> could we just go ask Alice? So I don't want there to be a deficit in his generational reading. Uh, but I think I have to trap him in a car to get him to read it, even though I'm sure he'll probably like it. So I'm looking forward to that. And I, I know on the Facebook page, there was a, uh, quite, there's always questions on our Facebook page, which I love seeing about book recommendations and audiobooks in particular. And this Fault in Our Stars gets recommended many, many times. So I'm going to trap him in the car. And that's what we're going to do on the way to State Robotics Championship. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Chaos Chronicles. Um, look for the new College Bound Chronicles later on in the day or recommend it to people if you know they're going through the college, uh, the college, um, 
process, uh, particularly if they have juniors, now's the time to start listening to our 17-part series. Uh, There's a lot of good information there. Thanks for joining me today, and don't forget, embrace your chaos.